Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. My name is Scott Belanger. I'm your host, also known as Jax Falcone on Twitter. You can find me at, at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number eight. Let's roll. And now, your undrafted sponsor of the day. Today's sponsor is Monkey Knife Fight. The season is underway, but with the amount of injuries piling up with star players, DFS is a great way to stay engaged with the season if you're already tilting. Monkey Knife Fight is a different type of DFS experience, offering both fantasy point and stat-based contests. One of Jackson and I's personal favorites is the more or less contest. You choose the over-under totals for a preset combination of different players. You can even parlay to multiply your winnings. Use promo code UND when you sign up at monkeyknifefight.com and get an instant 100% match on your deposit. Up to $50. That's right, 100% match on your deposit. Check it out at monkeyknifefight.com. Again, promo UND. Now, back to the pod. My goodness, what an amazing week we had this week in week five. I am kind of sick to my stomach, I got to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I was sitting on my couch watching the game like all of you and uh, watched uh, watch poor Dak roll up his ankle. And I, I mean, I just couldn't uh, I couldn't really uh, I couldn't really take it. I'm, I'm still a little emotional. You know, this this pod will come out, you know, as you wake up on on Tuesday morning. So, you know, there'll be a little bit more distance from from this situation. But, uh, you know, I, I, I got to be real, real, real with you. I was I was I was a little bit shook over what happened to Dak for, you know, for a lot of reasons. Uh from a fantasy football perspective, from a real life perspective, from a human perspective, from a NFL perspective. And obviously, you know, it was pretty vivid, you know, to watch him go through that, watch him crying off the, off the field. That was, that was pretty crazy. So, you know, it's, it's still hitting me right now, but hopefully with a little bit of distance, we'll, we'll all feel a little bit better about it. But, you know, we're going to touch on that today and a lot more. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty stark to see, you know, Alex Smith sort of make his miraculous comeback, you know, all the way back from, Basically, almost having his life threatened with his injury. Certainly, his leg was in jeopardy. And I got to be honest, when he was out there, I was like, kind of cringing, and I was just, you know, I was, I was, I was squinting and, and kind of curled up in a ball watching him play because I just did not want to see him, you know, take a hit to the leg. Uh, it was just, it was hard for me to watch Alex Smith play today, especially given that Rams defensive line looked like they were basically uh, giving a free run to the quarterback on every play. That that. That was just an unfair mismatch line to line there. So that was, that was, that was rough to watch, but really, really happy for Alex Smith. And that was pretty cool stuff to watch. You know, a lot of big surprises today and we're going to hit that. Um, I, you know, I'm so excited about this, uh, this episode. One of my very old friends from, you know, from Twitter. Um, and, and now a little bit more than that, but you know, we, uh, we go a long way back uh, on the old Twitter machine and, uh, you know, we've, we've seen eye to eye for so many years. You know, to finally get to talk to him and and have him on this pod is is going to be a lot of fun. So, without further ado, let me let me introduce my my guest today. It's uh it's Michael Liu from Big Dogs Got to Eat. You know, you you probably all know Mike. You can you can find him at Mike Me Up on Twitter. Michael Liu, what is going on? Talk to me, brother. Dude, it's uh it was an emotional weekend. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, it's uh like you said, like you kind of said to yourself, like you were a little bit gut wrenched, like. I mean, for me, I know for me, like, I love rooting for, like, the underdogs. I'm sure everyone does, right? So to watch someone like Dak who kind of, like, 
you know, was an underdog his entire entire career. Uh, basically, playing at a at a career level to go down like that was was a bit painful. And I was similar to you watching Alex Smith too. Like every hit he was taking, every time I saw the Rams D line kind of swarming around him, I was holding my breath, uh, making sure that he actually comes out of it the other the other side alive. Yeah, man, they had his family, you know, up in the stands, the the cute little kids, and they were like course they were having fun you know because they don't they don't know the gravity of the situation the wife you could tell she was feeling the way we were feeling um you know she i think he threw like a two-yard pass and she gave him a standing oh i mean you could feel the tension it was pretty amazing yeah like i said it was a pretty emotional uh day for that reason you know um i I've, i've said this before mike i don't know if you've you've heard me say this but you know i'm a sports fan forever and I don't care, you know, I was a Brady fan. I never wanted to see Peyton Manning get hurt. Yeah. You know, I was a Red Sox fan. I never wanted to see Jeter get hurt. You know, uh, I'm a Celtics fan. I never wanted to see Kobe get hurt. Like, I didn't, I, I always wanted, you know, injuries I never wanted to see. So I don't care how you felt about Dak or whatever. I, to me, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, this man got hurt and was crying off the field on a cart like it was just it was powerful man yeah dude i'm i'm totally with you uh and i've said it before and i'll say it again like injury victory laps are the worst like I, even even when i like don't dislike a player it's it's because i right. dislike them from like a from like an investment perspective but i'll never root for a player to fail right like today you know for example, Claypool went out there and just absolutely smashed. And I was someone that's, you know, visibly very low on him. But, like, it doesn't make me sad to see him be successful. You know, these people are just, like, basically playing for their livelihood. So I'm always on the I'm always on the, the side of the players. You know, when it comes to getting their money, when it comes to getting paid, like, I'm never going to side with ownership because, you know, they're billionaires sitting in a box and these are players putting their lives on the line. So, yeah, just seeing, just seeing injuries go down like that is, is uh, super painful. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. You know, it's funny you uh... – it's almost like you, uh, you know, you and I, we do see eye to eye a lot. And I was scouring my old, you know, I'm the, I'm the receipt king. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's, you know, and I, I was scouring my old clay pool takes, seeing if there was, you know, any reason I should be deleting anything. Uh, half kidding, but you know, like a little bit not kidding, you know. <laughs> I, was <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <"Man." laughs> I was like, man, this kid, you know, it's like, yeah, I remember someone came out and, uh, I'm sure someone will receipt king this, but you know, someone came out and was like, they put uh, Claypool up against Calvin Johnson, or they're, they're basically like saying that's him. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was like, "Is this guy for real?" You know, <laughs> and uh, and so you know, today he looked exactly like Calvin Johnson out there. You know, he even had a touchdown called back. Yeah, so, should have you know, five. He, he's, yeah, he showed up, man. So I got to give him all the credit in the world. And you know, I think you and I, the one thing that we do uh, though is we are Bayesian. You know, I will. That's new information, man. And this in this offense with his speed and the way he's playing, yeah, he's arrow up. You know that that I'm I'm no longer low on him. I, you know I'm with you. You know, so I, I would imagine you feel the same way. No. Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I kind of talked about this a little bit, and I'll give you a little bit insight into into my process. It sounds like you're kind of the same way. Uh, I'm of the mind where I don't like to bet on the outliers before they get to the NFL. So guys like McLaurin, guys like Claypool. Uh, and stuff like that just because like with every McLaurin and every Claypool there is like it's just littered with a bunch of misses right but once they get to the NFL I'm more than happy to change my stance once I've seen them perform so like this year for example you know I made a pivot and actually 
it got a lot of McLaurin on my teams because of what he did as a rookie. Because I think the way I describe it is like, you know, people love to use percentages to describe hit rates, right? Like, you know, you know, undrafted free agents hit at a rate of X or, you know, people that don't break out hit at a rate of X. Uh, I usually think of it at, in terms of like gating items, right? The first gate they had to pass was get drafted, right? And once they're drafted, they're in the pool now of drafted players with similar draft capital. The next gate they have to pass is like, show some success on the NFL on the field. And once they've done that, they now remove themselves from that from that plethora of misses into a more select group of hits. So, you know, that's kind of the the same path that guys like McLaurin and Claypool will kind of go throughout my process. And and like you said, it's kinda of like a Bayesian approach where, you know, you gotta take in the new information that hits. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, for me, like, yeah, of course, you know, you look at range of outcomes, you know, it's like you know, with every player and every situation, even down to every game, you know, I mean, I think Amari was terrible today, but you know, and, and, in a lot of situations, if Dak doesn't get hurt, if, you know, whatever, you know, he could have smashed today. That was in his range of outcomes. Of course, you know, he didn't, it's not like, oh, see, you were wrong. It's like, meh, you know, that was, that was interesting. You kind of move on. And every situation is like that. Same thing with a, you know, like you say, with a Terry McLaurin, it's like mm-hmm. he was drafted here. He produced like this. He ran like that. He's as tall as he is, you know, right? All these different data points that we try and collect, you know, his film looked like this. Was he able to do that? You take as much data as you possibly can, put it into the, you know, the processor and you say, eh, I'm not sure. And then he goes out and smashes and you're like, no, I'm sure he's good. You know, it's like, it, it, right. It's yeah. like that simple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to kind of discount like what he did. Like, even if he goes on and busts, like, in terms of like where I see him, like he still has exceeded like all of my expectations. So I consider myself to have been have been wrong on Chase Claypool up until now. Yeah, absolutely. And I we'd be remiss not to not to kind of touch. I mean, we talked about the emotional side of this and you know how we feel about Dak. There's a lot more to the Dak situation. And I guess I w- for for you and I, I think I would I would like to talk about you know the skill position guys. You know, Chalk actually hit me up. You know, I. We had that. We're going to get to some listener questions and, you know, some, some, and there were some awesome questions. I'm really excited. I know you are too. We talked a little bit about it ahead of time. We're really excited to kind of get to them. And so I kind of hit that up a little bit. I said, Hey, any late questions? And a lot of my undroppables guys, um, hit me up with some DAC questions about this and that. And, I'll, uh, uh, and Chalk mentioned, you know, these DAC questions. And I think it's important to kind of understand because now with their defense still sucks. Um, Andy Dalton is above replacement level. And I think if we're looking at all their skill positions, I don't think anybody takes a major hit or a major uh, bump at all. Uh, you know, am I, am I missing anything? What, what, what are your thoughts here? Um, well, I mean, I don't think any Dalton's going to go out there and pass for like 400 yards every game. Um, but what I will say is like what I believe over time is that the – the production is more attributable to the wide receiver than this the quarterback now when you have an elite quarterback obviously that boosts everyone but you know like you said Andy Dalton is kind of a above replacement uh level player so I do think like the elite talent that they have at wide receiver is still going to shine through like I my lamb is moving nowhere in my dynasty ranks like he's not moving off any of my teams uh, ever and you got, <laughs> Me too. and then, you know, Cooper, I've always been a big fan of Cooper. I, I get the whole boom bust narrative. I just, I, and it's true, but I just don't care about that when it comes to wide receivers. Me too. Um, and then if anything, you know, there's a chance that maybe they, they lean a little bit more heavily on Zeke, but that again, is going to come down to their defense, which still stinks despite 
showing up against Daniel Jones, who who obviously shot the bed, but you know everywhere else uh, their defense <laughs> has holes everywhere. So I actually do think that the offense will kind of keep humming for fantasy purposes. Uh, it's not going to be you know it's not going to be like a five thousand yard season like Dak was going to put up. So you know I think the fringe guys might be hurt a little, like guys like uh, Dan Schultz for example. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up. Uh, what he had been doing up until this point because, you know, the, the big dogs are going to eat and the big dogs are going to be guys like Cooper and Lamb uh, and, and Gallup to a degree. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, the best way I could, you know, uh, visualize it is if you just took the radio knob, it was cranked to number 10 and you just turn it down to like eight. Like that's what's going to happen, yeah. right? It's not, it's just not all fireworks anymore. You know, it's just turn it down a little bit. And yeah, you know, our concerns going in, I think are, are, were, you know, or at least my concerns going in might have been yours was like, I thought there was going to be a lot of like one week it's this guy. And it happened again this week, right? Amari was the guy left out. Like it was Gallup a few weeks in a row. And then this week it's Amari. It's exactly what I said. I mean, maybe you said the same thing, but that's exactly what I said going into the season was, you know, I think all these guys are going to have a hundred targets. All these guys are going to have great seasons, meaning Cooper, uh, Gallup and Lamb. And all these guys are going to succeed, but on a weekly basis, it'll be a little bit more difficult to handicap. And so I think it's still that way. Um, and it's probably a little closer to what we originally thought they were going to look like as opposed to, I think Dak was on a pace. You said 5,000. That would be 80%. I think he was on a pace for like 6,500 yards or some crazy yeah, thing. He was so. Crazy. So, I mean, yeah, like 5,000 would be like 75% of what they were doing. But, you know, um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it does sort of, be, they become a little bit more, you know, normal, average, probably a little bit above average because of that bad defense. They're going to have to score or die, right? Um, so I think that's the way I'm looking at it. I, I'm i with you 100%. Um, you know, one of our uh, compatriots in this industry uh, moved CD Lamb all the way up to his WR1. I don't know if I'm that bold. Uh, you know, I was, I put CD at, uh, my WR7, I believe, in Dynasty, and I got a lot of, you know, uh, quote unquote hate mail for that one. Um, but I had no problem having him there. I think he's that good. He showed it again today. Uh, curiosity, where do you have him in Dynasty, or, or do you know? He is at my wide receiver 7 8 as well. Um, Ooh, so we I kind of have him, I'm pretty sure I moved him to like either just above or right behind Chris Godwin. Uh, sorry, not Chris Godwin, um, uh, Calvin Ridley, who's also behind Chris Godwin. So the way I think about CD is like, I think rankings is a little bit misleading, right? I'm sure you have it the same way. Whereas like, I have them as like a cluster of wide receivers. Me right? too. Where I would not move one for the other. If I'm sitting there with Chris Godwin, someone offers me CD Lamb, I'm going to be like, no, thank you. I'm going to keep, keep where I am. If I'm sitting there with like CD Lamb and someone offers me Calvin Ridley, I'm going to be like, no, thank you. I'm going to stick with where I am. Right? That kind of, that's kind of how I view that tier of wide receivers. And that's why I think like Lamb to me is not tradable because I think most people aren't there yet, right? I don't think most people have him in like the top eight in that like tier two group of wide receivers. Um, there's like probably only like two wide receivers that I would consider moving him for if I was a contender, um, you know, but yeah, other than that, like he's, he's just been a stud and, you know, you talked about kind of a rotation of guys, you know, someone's always missing out. It seems to be like Gallup has been the one that's missing out more because of just how they run that offense. They seem entirely content on kind of leaving him on an Island and he's a fantastic receiver. I mean, you saw the plays that he made today, um, but it seems like the beneficiaries of that is, is guys like Cooper and, and, and Lamb who are running out of the slot and getting some more of those efficient targets. And, you know, so far, Lamb has been startable every single week. So he has not been left out at all. Uh, he's been just an absolute stud. 
Absolutely. And, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's touch on DAC because now there's guys sitting there as DAC owners. I know I own DAC. You know, I was able to get DAC. I just, we did a lot of startups this off season because of Corona. Everybody was home. They're inviting me in, in startups and, you know, we started the new undroppables, you know, site and everybody wants to do startups. So I'm in a bunch. You know, Dak was the guy I felt like. And, you know, I feel so right about that, but now I feel so bad about it. But, you know, so now you got to have a little bit more of that Bayesian pragmatic approach of, okay, what do I do? Obviously, you got to find a replacement if you have Dak in a super flex league mm-hmm. in a one quarterback redraft or whatever, you're fine. But we're, we're talking, this is a dynasty show. So we're talking about what do you do with Dak and dynasty? I checked in with Adam, the real Adam HH, uh, the undroppables resident, you know, PhD doctor, <laughs> whatever the hell he is. God bless you, Adam. He's actually a hell of a fantasy player too. But, you know, and I, I wanted to know, and it sounds like, you know, obviously all the tea leaves are leading us towards, uh, you know, he's certainly out for the season. And my question wasn't whether he was out for the season because I kind of knew that when I saw his ankle twisted off sideways. But the question I had for Adam was, is he going to be okay week one, you know, of 2021? And then I – Checked in with, you know, Dan, our contracts guy, AWL, AWL Saber Metrics, you know, and trying to figure out from a contract standpoint, what's Dallas going to do with him? Is he playing somewhere else? I know I got another question that was regarding, you know, what are some potential DAC landing spots, which is a hell of a question to ask, you know, this close to it, but it's a good question. And, you know, I do still think, and I believe this, I think when the dust settles, Dallas is going to find a way to keep Dak Prescott. I think that they're going to realize he was off to an incredible start. I think you're going to see Andy Dalton not do what Dak did. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be like, oh, right, this is what not Dak looks like. I mean, I'm sure Andy might be great. They might make the playoffs. Who knows what they do in the playoffs? All that, I'm sure. But it's not going to be Dak. And I think they're going to say, hey, this kid's going to be okay. you know. And I think they're going to sign him. I think he's going to be there. I don't know what that looks like. I can't imagine them just letting him walk. Uh, it, it, am I on the right page, you think, here, Mike? Yeah, you know what? Like as much as I like, we dump on Jerry World. He does some incredibly stupid things. I think that he's pretty easy. He's at the end of the day, he's still a sentimental guy. I think, and I think sentiment's gonna probably play into here somewhere. Uh, I don't, I don't, I can't say with confidence that he's gonna be uh, in Dallas. I'm sure he wants to be there. You know, we'll see where the where the money comes out, how he recovers. Because I've, I think I've seen this injury like um, in some other sports, and you know, the timetable for recovery is like. Again, I'm no medical expert, but I've seen like timetables between 12 and 18 months. So there's a chance where he doesn't come back for the beginning of next season. And in that case, and let's say, you know, the Cowboys don't do that great, uh, like, and they have a chance to take a shot at one of the top quarterbacks, do they do it? I have no idea. I think there's a lot of question marks there. But if he's healthy and he does come back in time, I do think that the most likely scenario is is he signs there and hopefully like Jerry pays him the money that he rightfully deserves. Yeah, I think they can do a second year franchise tag too, which I think is like, astronomical so i don't know that that makes sense for the cowboys so you would think they would find a way to get him signed but you know i'm i I am nervous for dax 2021 uh situation and so therefore i would not be afraid to sell my shares of dax if i'm getting some sort of adequate you know compensation back i'm not selling low i'm not just going to give him away because I'd rather sit on him because it's kind of like holding the 1.01 in the draft next year. You know, if, if you get Dak or Trevor Lawrence, you know, going into 2021 season, what's better? Well, I don't know. They're about the same. So, you know, don't, don't sell low on Dak because that's how you have to look at him. 
you know, even if he's compromised at the start of 2021, which would be a real bummer for him and for everybody, but, you know, for Dallas, for everybody. But even if he is, and I agree with you on this 12 to 18 months, I made the, the comparison to Gordon Hayward, um, you know, who I'm a, I'm a Celtics fan. He, he broke his, his ankle, um, on opening night mm-hmm. and really wasn't back for two years. Yeah. I mean, he played in that second year. It was later in the year, but he, he just wasn't right. And so I don't know how, how, you know, how this one differs. You know, that's going to come out here in, in, in the, you know, in the next couple of weeks, you know, how this is different, what the timetable looks like. Uh, we'll ask those questions. How's this different from those type of injuries? Uh, we know it's very different from Alex Smith's injury. Alex Smith's injury was mid leg, you know, lots of complications up there. This is at the ankle joint or it's certainly very close to it looked like right on it to me. But, um, you know, so I think he'll be 12 months. That, that seems right, and that puts him into the season, which is a problem. So there's some issues, but I would not sell low. Uh, moving on, I, I didn't want to take up too much time, but I thought that was a huge, important uh, deal to make sure that you know don't sell low on Dak because you know it's, he's going to play again and he's going to be good, and the ankle should be okay, obviously. Uh, but if you get a, a good return, you know a, a I don't know, I'm, uh, you know, give me a quarterback plus a pick that you'd sell him for, you know. Yeah, I think you know something like a. Maybe like a Justin Herbert plus like a first round pick, I think would be an ideal return. Slam it. Yeah, absolutely. That would be an ideal return because, you know, I'm sure there's still question marks about Justin Herbert, another guy who I was low on, but I've seen him play now and I've seen enough to actually pivot 180. Um, I think that would be a great return. And also, I think the trick is like you got to really make sure and assess your team because I have a team now. I first lost Saquon Barkley, right? And then I lost Chubb and now I lost Dak. So like I w- I'm a defending champ and I'm trying to go for the rolling pop, but now I'm at the crossroads where I have to like really try and dig down deep and see if my team is still a contender with those pieces missing. And I'm sure there's many people out there that are kind of in that same situation. And it's going to be hard to trade Dak away because your only shoppers are going to be other rebuilders, right? And so you're 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 already starting from like a limited trading base. So like trying to trying to get maximum value in that scenario is is a little bit tough because like you said, you know, if they have like rookie picks, they might as well hold them because those values will increase over the next year and Dak's value is going to remain unchanged. If anything, it would it would go lower, right? So it's going to be it's going to be a tough trade. So just I'd say make that assessment, see if there's a trade avenue there. And if there isn't, just just kind of hold on to them and wait for them to come back. That's exactly right. Yeah, if you're if you're uh, if you were you know four and zero, maybe now five and zero, even this after this week or whatever, you know your your team is good and you lost Dak. Yeah, sell him plus some things to get Deshaun Watson or whatever, right? To a team that is really struggling and, and is losing, and you know almost the, you know we're gonna get to this, but I, I'll hit this right now. Like if you're if you have Deshaun Watson and you're one and four, and you know you're, you're um you're not going to win this year. Deshaun Watson might cost you Trevor Lawrence, right? Because he'll, he'll be so good. He'll almost, you know, you'll get to three, four, five wins. You'll have the third, fourth pick. You know, if you're, if you're not that good, you're not going to make the playoffs. This is a perfect opportunity to sell a guy for Dak plus, right? You know, sell Lamar Jackson for Dak plus sell Deshaun Watson for Dak plus. You got to get plus because otherwise forget it. You know, I mean, what are you crazy? But, you know, that's a perfect marriage. You find a contender who's got some good assets. He's got Dak. He needs that. So he's willing to give up, you know, a Brandon Ayuk and a first round pick plus Dak to get your Watson. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. It'll help me lose this year. And then next year I've got Dak coming back, who's 
hopefully going to be just as good as Deshaun Watson going forward after 2021. And then you get some, some, some pieces, uh, to go along with it. And your pick just improved because your team is now worse. So, you know, it improves you on a number of ways. And, and that leads me to segue to our listener questions. We had some listener questions and the first one we'll hit. I'm going to switch it up a little bit on the order with you because this one just, just flows perfect. Uh, this comes from Ed Franz. Ed, uh, is at, uh, at Ed underscore Franz. Thanks for the question, man. It's, uh, each team is different, but how do you know when to switch to tank mode? And, you know, there's a second part of the question, but I'll just pose that straight to you, Mike. I mean, I kind of touched on it. What say you? Uh, so I'm super extreme when it comes to this. I'm not sure how you deal with it, but I make an assessment. And if I feel like I'm not a top two team, like that's my definition of contender. If I'm, if I'm not a tier one team where I'm literally like tiers above the rest of the league, and I have like a bunch of aging assets, I'm immediately pivoting and getting into tank mode. And I'll start just selling off players, stocking stock picks, uh, not stock picks, stocking draft picks and stocking young assets for the reason that you said. Like I'm once I made that decision to pivot, I want team I want scoring to be as low as possible on my team, but I want to do it like the right way, right? And there's like cowards out there that bench studs and, you know, sit sit like legitimate starters for backups. And I think that's just a uh, just a cowardly way to play dynasty. That's not how I do it. I, I will tank legitimately by trading players off my team and, and taking those points off my starting lineup and storing that value in draft picks. That's kind of how I think about it. Um, yep. So that's how I make a decision. It's not like, it's not, it's not really based on record. You know, if I'm like four and oh and I skirted by and I got lucky, uh, that's not going to, like, I'm still going to pull, pull the trigger on the tank because I, I see down the line that it's not going to be there for me. Um, but a good way for, for people to check, like the way I do is I just literally pull up all the rosters and I can like quickly scan through and be like, yep, like this, this, this league, I'm good. This league, I'm not good. But if you're, if you like kind of struggle with that, uh, what you can do is kind of look at like potential points for, uh, that gives you like a, a decent sense of like how strong your team is versus like how you actually perform. Cause it takes the bad start sit decisions out of it. Um, so that's like a really quick proxy for those of you that like, you know, don't have as much experience just like really quickly gauging teams and how, how good or bad the team is bingo i love it that you couldn't have said it any better man that's exactly right and you know um i i'm a little bit different in how i do approach it you know i played enough redraft and i go back long enough and redraft where i've taken some really shitty teams and gotten lucky because if you slide into the playoffs i always say that the goal in redraft is to get to the playoffs Hell or high water, doesn't matter. Whatever you have to do, it doesn't matter. Get to the playoffs. And then you got to win, in some cases, two, maybe three games. Well, this is a lucky thing. This whole thing is all luck-based. I mean, you know, one week this, you know, everything can change, you know. Um, so you know, if you roll into the, the playoffs and you have uh, Daniel Jones, you might win. You know, now granted, you probably won't get to the playoffs, but again, if I'm, so if I'm 4-0 and my team is a little bit shitty, I'm gonna, I might wait until I kind of see the writing on the wall that I might not make the playoffs, but I'm never gonna sabotage a playoff team, even if I kind of know that it's probably not gonna win. Stranger things have happened. So that's the only way I differ from you, but every other point you made there is 100% the way I look at it. And for me, it's like, yeah, of course, aging players. And in some cases, I like, there's a couple of strategies that I like and, you know, one I just gave you was trading equal assets, but getting the profit in return. You know, there'll be times where, you know, you look at a guy and, 
you know, he's not Michael Gallup. Perfect example. I had, I didn't really move Michael Gallup that far down, but his value was shrinking. So if I'm a, if I'm a team that's, that's, that's falling, maybe I trade Stefan Diggs to the Michael Gallup guy, get Michael Gallup back. They're basically the same for me in dynasty. I don't have one that much higher than the other. It's not like, I mean, Diggs is probably a little bit higher, but you know, I don't know. Is he right? I don't know. So they're pretty close. And so I would, I would trade the, the, you know, I'm a, I'm a shitty team. Give me Gallup plus, you know, if someone's willing to give me Gallup plus a first, that's how you, that's how, if you're a rebuilding quote unquote team, you can kind of rebuild without even rebuilding. I'm just basically taking the profit during the season uh, from teams who view their team, their team, uh, their, their player on their team as less than the player I have. Um, and I'm fine with that, you know, because I know it's going to turn around and kind of regress to the mean and, you know, to some degree, everybody, you know, that's in that tier should be similar. You know, uh, Calvin Ridley just put up a goose egg. That guy might think, you know, right. You know, you kind of see these things. It's like if, if that game happened in week one instead of week four, um, you know, people would have been freaking out about Ridley, you know, so, but Ridley's good. And so, you know, if someone's going to give you profit on, on a Ridley trade, take it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Trading down and acquiring like assets is probably like the easiest way to, to win in dynasty. And, you know, the way I think about it, if you're if you're like a tanking team, especially and you have studs, you have like the DeAndre Hopkins. Basically, I think about it in terms of like first round, second round startup uh, pick value. So the DeAndre yeah. Hopkins, you know, the Michael Thomases, uh, even the Chris Godwins now, the, the Devontae Adams. I am always willing to trade down with one of those guys to a what is viewed as a lesser receiver that I'm going to bet on, someone that I like, uh, and getting an asset return. So something like last year, what I did was, for example, I traded DeAndre Hopkins for like DK Ridley, right? And those are two guys that, right. I, that I was betting on before this season happened. And now that they've broken up, that they've broken out, you reap huge benefits. And the reason why I do that is because once you're a first round startup pick, your value's capped. You can't really, there's really no nowhere to go other than to hold and stay flat. So value appreciation there is like nearly impossible. And you know, that's, that's right. the reason why you want to target the middle rounds of trading back and startups, because that's where like the real value accruers are. That's where like the guys like Ridley's, the, the DK Metcalf sat this year. That's where the DJ Moore's and Chris Godwin sat last year. Right. So that's always why yep. I'm trading back to try and get as many shots in those rounds as possible. And similarly, like, you know, in my eyes, like trading someone like DeAndre Hopkins for Ridley and DK is similar to trading back in a startup. Like, but you can do it. That's you right. can do it all every year. You know, every year in the off season, I do a, a scout of my rosters, including my top contenders, and I see where I can trade down on those top assets. That's a that's exactly correct. You know, I, there's a, one one of my only articles on you know the undroppables. I have a few, but the 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 dynasty startup article references that exact strategy as the strategy to win. And um, so, yeah, of course it's correct. It, you know, that is exactly right. Your uh, dynasty team is a, is a bank account and your picks have value. Your players have value. There's a, there's value. And if you can, and it's all fluid, meaning it's either appreciating or depreciating uh, on a game by game basis. Sometimes yes, but moreover, just on a general Long term, kind of like the stock market, but in, 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 in dynasty, there, it, there's a, there's an increase and a decrease. That's how it goes, man. They go up and then they go down. And so you're either sitting on appreciating assets or depreciating assets, you know, and to your point, Michael, if you have, if you're, a, if your team is dope 
and you have Julio. Now Julio's, you know, hurt. I, I understand, but I'm saying he's obviously a depreciating asset, but if he's playing great, now he's impossible to sell, so to speak, but you know, uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a, a great example. I'm not selling DeAndre because he's awesome. And if I'm going to win, I'm going to win with because he's awesome. And I've got all these awesome players and I'm not selling any of that stuff. I'll let that ship keep going. Now, if someone wants to give me Chris Godwin and DK Metcalf for DeAndre, of course I'm going to sell him, but that's likely not coming your way. But I'm not going to sell down to maybe McLaurin and Debo or something, right? Because it's like, eh, I don't need the depth. I'm dope. I'm going to win. So you kind of stay in win now mode. So I think that's kind of the way I look at it. I agree with you 100%. You got to know which assets are, 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 um, are appreciating and which assets are depreciating and act accordingly with what your roster is. And I, I, I'm, I'm guessing you probably do the same thing, but I also try and group my players so that I have guys just about to, to really hit, you know, so. I try to have as many 23 to 25 year old, you know, stud wide receivers as possible. So that way in the next three, four, five years, they all should be good for that period of time. So I can surround them with running backs and whatever else tight ends that I kind of get in draft or trade, what, however I can acquire to build that dynasty. Yes. Yeah. Def- definitely. Um, I definitely think about the timeline and I think about it in terms of like various like cliffs and exit points. Like I think about when my running backs hit the cliff and like that's kind of like my window to win. So I need to have the players to do so. Um, but for wide receivers is it, like a little bit different story. Like you said, I like to kind of group all of them. Um, and if they're all young, great. But if they're not, then I want to make sure I don't have like a bunch of guys that are going to cliff the same year, right? Like, you know, having Devonte Adams and DeAndre Hopkins is great. Right. In terms of like the win now, but like in two to three years, you're going to be you're going to be grasping at straws because you're not going to be able to trade them at all. Um, and then your cliff kind of hits. And if you don't win, then your team is like fucked. Right. So uh, that's why I have to start thinking about like ta- like tapering it out, uh, so to speak. But in this year in particular and last year in these startups, what you what you could do is just I basically built like entire wide receiver cores out of the 2019 and 2020 class. Um, and those guys are basically going to last you for a long time because they're all like super early producers and early producers tend to be winners in the long run. Uh, so like if you were building a wide receiver core, like using the 2019 and 2020 class, like you're, you're going to be pretty set going forward. That's exactly right. I love it. So here's a good one. Speaking of draft classes, um, what a great name, Darth Raider, Darth Raider, Darth Raider N4L asks teams that are rebuilding. And with this weird college football season, how much are we valuing 2021 draft picks outside the obvious top couple of guys in Superflex dynasty? When going into a rebuild, care to take this one first? Because I've got some thoughts here, so yeah. I'll let you. I'll let you hit it. Uh, look, I mean, I remember there was some of this like buzz like back a few weeks ago, where people were talking about how you should like get out on rookie first round picks uh, because of like a shortened season and college being like risky and blah 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 blah. Like, look, listen, I'm here to tell you right now, I don't care if the college season gets canceled tomorrow. Uh, I will still be a buyer of all 2021 rookie picks. If you are panicking, please sell them to me. If there are league mates in your leagues that are panicking, please sell them to them or please acquire them from them because the one thing that is certain, the one thing that is certain above all else in fantasy football year after year never fails. 20 uh, rookie picks 
uh, rookie first round picks will always increase in value and they will always be the safest storage of value across any asset doesn't matter what it is i don't care if you have cmc ceh every single player carries risk there is zero risk to holding a 2021 first round pick between now and the draft uh, the talent Bingo. is incredibly deep um, you said the top few guys i can list off 15 20 guys that are incredibly talented right now obviously they'll change with landing spots but there will also be new guys that emerge and you know no one no one i don't care if you're matthew barry i don't care if you're me i don't care if you're scott no one is immune to rookie draft fever okay every everyone right. everyone says don't fall for it and everyone loves to pretend like don't fall for it but i can tell you from my personal experience no one is immune so that is what drives <laughs> the value up and you can you can buy buy away on 2021 draft picks don't even worry about if you don't know the players right now you have guys like scott who will be informative to you and tell you who to target in those drafts um but trust me trust me when i say this it, this is the you know it is the treasury bill of of fantasy football that's what i always refer to 2021 rookie picks because they are completely guaranteed and they only have upside <laughs> that's right bingo oh my god so well said i love it that's the fire right there. That's why that's why he's on this podcast right now. That's why I was so excited about this podcast because that is where that is where it's at, baby. That is Dino Game Theory. That is Dynasty Game Theory right there. It's it's wrapped up. It, you just know it. If you're ever selling right now, also the the picks to buy right now are probably 2021 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know because people are are flippant with those. They're they're like, eh, whatever. It's not a first. I'm fine. I can make this move. Boom, boom, boom. I'm fine. And if you have four, five, six, 2021 20, seconds. Look, all of the stuff. I mean, here here's the exercise. Here's how you know. Who was in the 2020 second? Who was in the 2019 second? I mean, we'll just go into 2020, you know, T. Higgins, you know, uh, Henry Ruggs, who just had a big game, you know, Antonio Gibson, um, you know, keep the list going, right? I mean, all these guys were in the second round. And if you have all these guys, they're worth first now. I mean, you're, who's selling a, a, a T. Higgins for less than a 2021 first right now? No one. I mean, or a 2021 second. Nobody. Nobody. So that player is absolutely the type of guy you're going to see in the, in the second round of this coming draft. Huge tight end class, certainly with uh, at least one elite tight end. But I think probably Brevin Jordan's another one. But, you know, there's there's at least two for sure, three, probably four, maybe quarterbacks that are going to be in the first you know, for certainly the first five picks, but maybe in the first, you know, with, when you talk about four, maybe 15 picks. Mm-hmm. So when you're, yeah, you're talking about second round picks. Um, and then there's three stud running backs and there is just a, a shit storm of wide receivers. I mean, there's wide receivers. I mean, there's 12 wide receivers that are definitely worth something uh, going into next year. So you just start counting and you say, okay, well, there's going to be some leftover in even the mid second. Now there's always, you know, late second and thirds are kind of those crap shoots. You know, you'll find Terry McLaurin's and Chase Claypool's, of course. But in terms of just what there is in that 2021 class, there's at least, like you say, 15 is e- easy. I can do it for sure. There's 15, not sure things, because there's no such thing, but sure thing type players in that draft class. So do not sell the picks. And and if anything, I mean, you know, if you if if you got a chance to win a title, of course you do whatever you got to do to sell, them, but don't devalue them in any way, and actually value those twenty twenty one seconds, especially if they're early. You know, I think a lot of times, and Mike, you may find this as well. You're in a league, and guys don't always look at the the uh, the standings. Yeah, look at the standings and look at the like you said, the potential points. 
you know, if there's a team that's two and two, but his potential points are the worst in the league, his team sucks. Yeah. He's going two and 10. Like he thinks he's, Oh, I got a chance. I'll trade my second round pick, grab his pick. Cause you know, his team sucks. Like yeah. that, you know, that's the edges and the margins that you can win on. And, and, and the sharp guys are, are looking at that stuff. And that's what you got to look at. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I was just, I just recorded like the market watch Monday, um, for, for this week. And that's the topic I want to cover is like, you know, right now is active time, right? You're, you're four weeks in, we're halfway through, uh, five weeks, I guess, more than halfway through five weeks. The playoff picture is shaping up. You know, the strong teams are really, really pulling apart. The weak teams are kind of sinking to the bottom, but the meat, of winning in dynasty is really in that middle ground and most people are going to look at records right and the reason why i bring up potential points is i think that's a it's still flawed but it's a much more accurate representation of how strong your team is it kind of removes a little bit of the luck of going up against you know people always complain about oh i went up against the highest scoring as the second highest scoring right that really happens back to back week. So eventually you're going to come back to the mean. So the guys that are like three and one, even right now that I noticed in some of my leagues and I go and look at their potential points and they're like, you know, bottom four in potential points. I'm going to those guys right now and I'm trying to acquire their rookie picks, first round picks, second round picks. I don't care. I'm trying to get their picks because absolutely. You're telling them, Hey man, you got a chance. Yeah. You're, you're going to win it. You probably need this extra piece, man. Yeah. You're a great team. Your pick's going to be late. Yeah. And those guys, <laughs> those guys are the, are the believers that I, I like to call them the all I need guys, because they're the guys that yeah. are like, all I need is one piece to get into the playoffs. Right. All I need is one thing to break, right. To get my team there. And I always think about the flip side of that is like, well, all you need is one injury and you're fucked. So yeah, that's why that's right. I like to go for those guys because they they'll probably try and you know sell they'll sell they're willing to sell their picks as a late first which I never do I never do that in dynasty I don't care what team I have I never sell a pick as if it's a late first because you're you're completely overconfident in your ability to predict what's going to happen between injuries and especially this season with COVID and everything but if you are able to acquire any first round pick as a late first you just absolutely have to smash the button every time and if it's a late second smash the button because like Scott said there is a plenty of talent. And I think this year, more than any, those second round picks, I'm going to value more than most because if you really know what you're doing and you've been paying attention to college football uh, for the years leading up until this year, even if the season is canceled, I think you're going to have enough data to kind of really squeeze some value out of those second round picks. That's so well said. And, and you know, I, we'll go we'll go back to Michael a little bit here. You know, Mike and I kind of got to know each other on Twitter because of takes like this where he and I were just you know, we'd be in a little Twitter spat with somebody and, and, you know, he'd come in and say this type of stuff and we'd both be, you know, mind melding and, and, and we just so much mutual respect built up over the years. So, you know, where can you find Mike? Mike, tell him a little bit about, um, where you're at. Cause big dogs got to eat. Everybody kind of probably knows that Nick Ercolano, who's doing an amazing job over there, but just tell the people where they can find you on YouTube. Uh, and what you're what you're bringing? Just a quick uh, quick shout out to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're over at BDGE on YouTube, and uh, it's one of my buddies, Nick. Uh, he started the brand, uh, built an incredible following, and I kind of just hopped on. Uh, this recent year when I started getting into this fantasy Twitter business. Um, but we also split off a channel. It's called Bunk Bed Breakdowns. And it's a it's like within the BDG family, but it's like the dynasty show that I do with Noah at FB God, who's my co-host. And, you know, I have some like single segments on there. I have a Market Watch Mondays. He does a couple segments as well. So we're putting out like probably four or five videos a week on there. Uh, so that's pretty much where all of our content is. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts and all that. Um, but in terms of like, you know, engaging with me, engaging with Nick, engaging with uh with Noah, you can kind of just catch us on Twitter and just hit us up. And we're usually pretty responsive and like to engage with people. You know, Nick's built an amazing brand. And I said this to you before the show off the air, but I also think he's 
he's a sharp fantasy mind too. He does a great job. And put it this way, if you're listening to this podcast, you'd probably like to watch uh, Bunk Bed uh, you know, dynasty with uh with Mike because if if you like this show, you're gonna like his because you can just see he he kind of brings it. Um, this was one of my favorite questions. Uh, we'll, we'll hit this one up. Uh, Polly Sleepers, Polly, uh, you know, Lundegaard, uh, uh host of our uh, uh unscripted pod, and well, I shouldn't say host. Uh, you know, term hosts it, but you know what I mean. He's on. He, he does the 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 show with term and Beezy. Uh, Polly said to me, he said, um. The question's a little confusing, but I still I gotta read it for the chaos ladder. So with everything that's going on, is it smart to punt this year if you don't have a super team, or should you use chaos as a ladder and use the uncertainty to your advantage? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, you know, and and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but kind of talking about just there being so much, you know, the buys, the the hidden buys, the injuries, the COVID list. There's so much going on. You know, I think he's trying to say with everybody being confused, you know, should you kind of take advantage of that and maybe, you know, climb that ladder up to be a, a contender? I mean, first of all, chaos ladder wins, but uh, speak to the question a little bit here. Yeah, I think, you know, this goes back to the assessment thing that I talked about early on. Like if if you're if you're really like near the top, uh, I think the chaos ladder is is probably irrelevant to you but you would you would think about that in terms of basically building depth for yourself to protect yourself against like random luck from these chaos ladder climbers but i think personally i'm not chasing i'm not chasing playoffs and championships this year unless i'm like really really in that elite tier uh because the chaos ladder can work both ways right like you can see yourself as like hey i'm, I'm gonna acquire this piece and it's gonna push me in the playoffs and then like i said on the flip side of that you could next week you could lose two other players and put you right back in the shitter and all you did was just give up long-term security so if anything what i'm doing is i'm taking advantage of people that are trying to climb the chaos ladder to who think they're one shot or one piece away and trying to sell off uh you know more veteran pieces on my team to acquire like future rookie uh, assets and younger younger studs yeah, I think I think I I feel the same way. I, like the way I look at it, I think it's half of what you're saying is like I'm going to use chaos as a way to build value. So you know, there's there's going to be you know people who give up on players who are on short term IR. There's going to be people who give up on players like you know Denzel Mims right now and Brian Edwards. And I'm going to use that chaos to try and buy players who are you know amidst that chaos. Whether I'm a, 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 a you know a bottom team, a top team, whatever, I'm just going to use the chaos to to nab value. Uh, just like I mentioned with with Dak, I mean, just all these situations, you you really look to a team, and I think that's actually you know I think you said it a little bit or touched on it at least to some degree a little earlier, but you look at the other teams and and put yourself at the helm of that team and think about what would what would be your fears, your worries. And I mean, I know it's a little bit like ruthless, but art of war, man. What prey upon those, right? You know, oh my God, I lost Dak. Like, go in with you know, uh, you know, a shit quarterback. You know, and say, hey man, you know, he's available. All you have to do is pay me a first, man. Just single first, it's good. I'm not winning. You're obviously, you know, boom. Now I just sold a, you know, a a guy who's not even gonna be, you know, a Philip Rivers type or whatever. And now you've built, you know, value into your team, and you it didn't really affect your chances of winning, winning or losing this year. And that team, you preyed upon his weakness and his fears, and that's really how you win. Um, and and who knows? Maybe Philip Rivers takes that team to the title. God bless you. Win win. That's fine. But either way, I'm looking to build value. I'm not looking to take an inside straight to the championship. Yeah, definitely. Um, so 
I shout out Adam, you know, and unfortunately for Adam, he went to Purdue, you know, our doctor, <laughs> you know, he obviously mustn't be much of a doctor. I, I, you know, so he sends me this question and, you know, you, you got to tell me if it's, uh, you know, where we're at here, because this is a, this is actually a good question. We were touching on the 2021 picks, but in that 2020, in that 2021 draft right now, if you're on the clock, which you're not, Jalen Waddell or Rondell Moore and why? Uh, yeah, I'm going with Rondell Moore. Uh, he's, he's my, he's like top tier one wide receivers for me. Um, I think, you know, people kind of forgot what this guy did as a freshman, just like the profile that he has is, is pretty remarkable. Uh, he kind of stepped on the field and just immediately dominated as a true freshman, 18 year old, uh, went to absolute town on the production front. And he was actually on pace for another monster season before suffering that massive injury. And, you know, when he, when, before he hit that injury, I think he was the clear wide receiver one. There really wasn't much, much debate around that. And then, you know, kind of he vacated that seat because Jamar Chase went on to put on one of the most dominant performances by a wide receiver we've seen in a long time, but, and people forget about him, but Rondell Moore is a freak. He's small, but he's not tiny. Like he, he is a well-built, very stout uh, you know, Ray GQ, shout out to him. He was the first one on Rondell Moore, but a very Steve Smith-like wide receiver. And that that's really what you see in him. He's someone that kind of creates with the ball in his hands. And I could see him being used, deployed as a very versatile weapon uh, coming into the NFL. And for me, I'm like, I'm more of a metrics guy. I'm not, I'm not great with film, which is why I follow guys who are good at film. I'm trying to, you know, learn from them. Uh, so I try tend to fall a little bit more heavily on the metrics and the metrics in every single column, uh, kind of goes towards Rondell Moore You know, he may not have the game breaking speed, uh, that, uh, Jalen Waddle does, but Rondell Moore is a speedster himself. Like make no mistake. He's going to blaze as well. Just not, just not like groundbreaking speed. But to me, that doesn't matter as much as the production and the collegiate profile that he has. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, I, it, you know, if this was 20 years ago, I'd have serious doubts about whether or not Rondell Moore could compete in the league. Quite frankly, I'd have doubts about Jalen Waddle in that same league. Yeah. But the league is changing. Um, it's changing right in front of our eyes, too. I mean, scoring is up. All the overs are hitting. It's wide open. Now, granted, a lot of that has to do with no fans in the stands and a lot of that crowd noise does hurt uh, visitor uh, offensive production makes them call more conservative plays. Now they can be a little bit more freewheeling as we see Aaron Rodgers slinging it around, you know, on the road and, uh, you know, getting people to jump off sides on the road. So that it helps scoring. Um, but take all that nonsense away and we still scoring is up. Um, you know, and wide receivers are, are catching the ball a little closer to the line of scrimmage and making things happen. Those types of players are succeeding in the league. So I think both of them can. Um, you know, and when you talk about both of these guys, I mean, the pedigree is there, you know, Rondell Moore, I think when, when, uh, Michael talks about, uh, the metrics, what is he talking about? Well, age adjusted dominance is probably the number one metric that we can look at in terms of identifying a, um, a wide receiver prospect. You know, if a guy goes out there in his freshman year and dominates, He's probably pretty good. You know, that's, that's kind of how it works. Um, yes, there are some outliers to that, but generally if they follow it up with, with production as they go and get drafted as a junior, that's, that's usually a good wide receiver. So, you know, he doesn't have to see any film to know that he's good. Now, when we do watch the film, what we see in, in Rondell is, is pretty elite. 
even when the ball is in the air. Like, yeah, he's small, but he's aggressive. And I think that's what Ray Ray Garvin is talking about is that, you know, Steve Smith had that toughness and, and that's what Rondell brings. Waddle is just, I mean, he's just crazy. I mean, he's small, but he is just fast, you know, Um, you know, it kind of looks like Deshaun Jackson moving out there, you know, just, you know, just like, like he's on clouds. I mean, just flying. So I'm with you. I think I'm taking Rondell Moore as well. You know, landing spot would definitely matter, obviously. I mean, because they're both outstanding and they're both, you know, top tier players. I, I've been moving uh, Jalen Waddle up and up and up. For me, it was clearly Rondell Moore. Now it's not so clear, I think, um, but it's still probably Rondell by, by, a, by a hair. So uh, good, good on you, Adam. Uh, Purdue wins again, just like you're used to. They, <laughs> they seem to win every year. And so whatever, you know, Purdue holds over Alabama as per usual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, so, it, you know, I got another one. Uh, you guys probably know him on Twitter. Dude, dude's out there. You know, he's got the cool avatar shades on, you know, but um, Detroit Beastie, Chris Robin, you know, really, really super guy. Um, just a just a good dude on Twitter, at least. I, I've, I've, I've actually never met him, of course, but uh, really great guy. So. Chris Robin was asking me, he says, simple yet complex at the same time. Herbert or Burrow, long-term prospect, of course, Dynasty. Herbert or Burrow, who you got? Uh, I got Burrow long-term. What I will say is this. If you are in need of a quarterback, and we just talked about Dak going down, I I think Herbert outproduces Burrow this year um, pretty pretty handily just just given the weapons they have and the, and the team they have um but long term i think burrow has been as advertised you know he got absolutely blasted this game but it was like feeding it was like feeding a dead fish to a pool of sharks because he he could not go anywhere he had zero time to do anything he was basically running for his life and granted that might be the case going forward but he's also not gonna be facing baltimore every single week and so far from what i've seen from burrow he has been incredible, and his connection with guys like Tyler Boyd, with guys like T. Higgins, who are both young up-and-comers, is going to be um, pretty exciting to watch uh, going forward. But in terms of like being set up for success like right now and this year, and if you're looking at the schedule, uh, I think Herbert's got an easier path. I tend to agree. I mean, this is a tough question, and it's crazy because we're talking about the Superflex 101 for many people, and Herbert, who... I don't know that he got drafted, uh, you know, above the 107 in Superflex leagues very often. I'm sure it happened, of course, but you know, he was sort of a 1.08 or later type of player. In many cases, he slid into the early second round. Um, so, I mean, he was a late first, and now we're talking about these two as basically QB one, QB two. You know, Tua, interesting because he, you know, his value is seemingly falling. And he hasn't done anything wrong, you know, but, uh, you know, to watch Herbert play, I mean, he's been so impressive. I I, I don't know. I, I think the answer, and I think you would agree with this one, is I'll take Herbert plus the profit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if for whatever reason, you know, I'm on the clock and the guy wants Burrow, I'll trade back and take Herbert. Or if I have Herbert and he has Burrow, you know, I'll I'll, I'll stay, I guess. And if, if I have Burrow and I can sell Burrow for Herbert plus, I'll do that. Um, so yeah, I think the, 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 the perceived difference is more shallow than the actual difference. That's the best way I can say that. And who knows, Herbert might have a better career because both these guys are actually pretty similar. You know, they're, they're both, they're both very skilled and both very athletic. 
that's the key. You know, I watched bro, like you said, he was running for his life. Sometimes he got away today. Like I was like, man, this kid, you know, it's like, he just makes things happen. And Herbert does the same, you know, they're both very athletic. And I think that's pretty important when it comes to the the modern game, Uh, you know, sort of thinking about Dak today, you know, you got to also know when to get down because, you know, you just don't want that to happen. You know, Adam said earlier this year, our, our doc, he said that he felt like, you know, some of these, um, mobile quarterbacks were, you know, obviously a little bit of a ticking time bomb. And, and sure enough, you know, we see one go down with that ankle and it's because he was being tackled. You know, it wasn't a hit. It was a tackle. And so tackling is different than getting hit. Obviously, you can get your bell rung getting hit in the pocket. But, you know, so it's not all hits are the same. Being tackled is where things get rolled up under and things of that nature. So, you know, you don't want to be tackled very often. I know it sounds kind of obvious, but it's it's very true. That's where you get hurt. Um, you know, knees can twist, especially on that, on that, on that field turf. So I'll take Herbert plus the, plus the profit. Yeah. I mean, Herbert hasn't really even shown too much of his athleticism yet, uh, which, which is kind of scary to his upside, I guess, if you actually think about it that way, I will say for like mobile quarterbacks, you know, some, I think someone, I forgot who it was, it's who did this, but they said, you know, streaming quarterbacks just like, isn't what it used to be. And, you know, part of that is because of the mobile quarterback, right? And every, everyone knows what the Konami code is now. That's like no longer a secret. Uh, so that's why like streaming or late round QB isn't as effective as it has been in years past, because in years past, you only had like, what, three or four mobile quarterbacks at any given point in time that were viable. Uh, whereas this year, you basically have nearly, you know, 12 to I think I counted like 12 to 14 uh, Konami code quarterbacks that were producing uh, at a pretty high level. So if you were streaming late round quarterback and you missed out on one of those, you're basically starting from from well behind the eight ball. So, um, you, but the key is like you said, you want to find the guys that are actually careful. Uh, that's why I love Kyler. I think because he he knows when to slide. Like when he's running, he's always looking around. He's sliding like be, any before anyone's even within like three yards of touching him. He's sliding down. And I think that's exactly what we want to see. Like, that's how Russ kind of has lasted as long as he has. Russ, like, rarely ever takes big hits. Lamar, as as much as people love to hate on him, he's also pretty smart. Uh, the ones that you think are bad hits that he chooses to take on really aren't that bad. Like you said, it's not a tackle. It's a hit. And most of the time, he's leading that context. It's a little bit different. But he's really, really careful in terms of, like, people chasing him from behind, stuff like that. So definitely look out for the guys that are they're a little bit more careful versus the guys who are who are reckless and then you know a little bit more fancy. I totally love what you just said about um, you know late round quarterback because I swear I mean I've been playing redraft for a long time and you know I've been doing late round quarterback for many years and so when JJ's article came out and that whole thing I was like yep that's it man that is right on the money that's what I do and I think it was not met very well at first but you know I, that was that was that spoke to me I I totally agree with late round quarterback. And I've I've won a lot of redraft leagues with that principle, but I totally agree. You know, this year I kind of shifted away from that. Even in some startups, I always felt like actually even a super flex startup, I would go late round quarterback because, you know, I could fill in all these other positions and still basically have the same quarterbacks as you have. Mm -hmm. I still somewhat employ that, but you're right. I'm looking for like, you know, I guess two years ago now in startups, it was Lamar, you know, and, you know, if you had him, you won. So, yeah, that's the type of late round quarterback. You know, you want a Konami code quarterback, um, you know, as a, you know, as your as a quarterback, if you can, you know, I mean, you want that rushing upside. And also, I mean, even just the sort of ex- play extension, you know, I mean, um, you know, even Ben over the years wasn't necessarily a Konami code quarterback, but he was mobile enough to make things happen on the run. And, that that 
that helped him along. So yeah, you kind of want some athleticism back there. But yeah, if you can get that rushing floor, it's huge. So if there's only so many of those, you really have to kind of look at those. Cam was that guy this year that I targeted. And you know, everybody who plays with me will know that I have a lot of Cam in startups this year. I, I basically, I think I got him in every startup. Um, because why wouldn't you? Uh, Cam was kind of the no doubter, um, late round, uh, dynasty startup quarterback. And the best thing was when he was not on a team, people just forgot he existed and that they thought he would never play again or something. I don't, I don't understand why he wasn't somewhere in the top 20 quarterbacks. He was basically going after all the starters. You know, I, there was some times I drafted him well behind, you know, start, you know, Tyrod Taylor. Who knows? I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, he was just so late. And, um, yeah, so he was the easiest, uh, late round quarterback to, to grab this year. And, and, you know, next year there'll probably be another one and you just got to keep an eye on them. But, you know, they're harder to source because of that advantage that the Konami code brings. There's no doubt you're a hundred percent right on that. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Cam. I think I remember like when you tweeted it too, I just immediately responded and was like, yeah, this is like the easiest smash draft button in any super flex dynasty startup. Cause I think he was going in like, <laughs> yeah. he's only in like the 10th or 11th round, I think. And just like every time I got to the ninth or 10th, if Cam was there, I was like, hey, I'm just going to take him because this is a former MVP and he, he's already presented the Konami code and he was a top know top three top five finisher in multiple years and it just didn't make sense to me that he was going behind like guys like tom brady even you know guys like uh big ben you know all these guys that he was going after he's going after drew Brees, right he was going after all these guys and if anything in dynasty startups too right yeah Yeah, even even if like you know i i sometimes i punt year one in a lot of my startups um just because that's how it goes uh sometimes when you're trading back um even in a rebuild i was just grabbing him because like when he didn't have a job i was like okay people are not going to pay a first for him now but as soon as he gets a starting job he's automatically worth the first so it was just an immediate profit and that's exactly the path that i went down you know i would draft him in like the 10th 11th rounds and then as soon as he got a job people were still doubting him and thought jared stidham would start for some odd reason i have no idea um and then (laughs) once that once that kind of passed they were still like okay well is he still the same cam and then once he went out there and balled out two weeks straight immediately flipped him for like a first plus so it's like stuff like that where it's like it seems like so basic and so easy yet like for some reason people just don't don't do it and uh you know works out in favor for guys like uh, guys like you and me absolutely yeah, i've got a dak something else league maybe a dak Tannehill cam league and of course losing dak now you know having cam is huge and you know, in a lot of situations, that third quarterback you draft in a dynasty startup super flex league is like, you know, it's just dog shit. And you're like, now you're looking at, you know, who, maybe he doesn't even play anymore. It's Trubisky or whoever <laughs> yeah, you got, yeah. you know, right? It's like, oh my God, uh, what am I going to do? But to have, you know, obviously Cam's been starting in a lot of those situations, but you know, to have him, it's like perfect. Yeah. Keep the, keep this, keep this rolling, you know? So yeah, just, just outstanding. So I, I kind of wanted to, talk a little bit about the the week a little tiny bit because just because it's kind of fun and i mean the, the 49ers man what was that jesus did christ you, did you get any of this game yeah. did you catch it yeah I, I mean i was watching i usually watch like split screen uh sunday ticket and i had yeah. uh, the nfl because it's blacked out i had it running on youtube tv on my laptop but uh i mean fitz went out there and just lit him up uh you know thank god for all the Devonte parker uh, discounts that we got in the off season because of people unable to move off their priors. Uh, so he kind of balled out and I mean, their defense has been ravaged with injuries. So that part makes sense to me, but Jimmy, Jimmy G looked, uh, I mean, he looked awful. I mean, I remember there was, there was a time when people 
said like it was a mistake to like let him go and you know it was a mistake to have Tom Brady stay even though he won us a Super Bowl that year which makes no sense to me and people thought like you know Jimmy G was like better than Tom Brady I think you know he he's he's a fine quarterback I mean he's not he's not a bum but he's he's like nowhere near like a top level quarterback and he just looked lost maybe it's because the injuries I think they pulled him later because maybe his ankle wasn't feeling great so I'm sure that has part to do with it but yeah that offense looked brutal today yeah and and you know, I'm all right. Ready here, team. Watch the film. Ready, listen to this. So, you know, there was a lot. They looked poorly coached. They looked unprepared. Okay, so this was the sign to me that they were just completely out coached in a way that's like embarrassing. Like I'm, you know, I'm watching. I got my kids jumping on my head. It's not like I'm analyzing this with the all twenty two as I watched it, but it was third and twenty two. It was third and goal from the twenty two. Uh, Miami had this, yeah. and the, it was the play where they hit Parker. On the left side, who was on, he was basically in single coverage with the worst cornerback, number forty-eight. I don't even know his name. They they were talking about it, you know, before in the in the drive before the oh forty-eight is getting you know smoked. So they had forty-eight in like close press coverage with Parker on third and goal from the (laughs) twenty-two. Like, why is that even the play call? Like, the play call should be give him fifteen yards of cushion. Like, you should be standing at the five. You know what I mean? Like, if he catches it at the eight, fine tackle his ass and let's get a field goal like the the defense i i the defensive call to have him isoed in that scenario is absolutely fireable offense like because i think that put him up uh 20 whatever that was like the three touchdowns like 21 7 or whatever it was yep. like right around that point like it was a ball game and so they were out coached too i don't want to hear it all on jimmy g that team was awful their offensive play calling was shitty. They got away from, look, you're down. I don't care if you're down two touchdowns in the first quarter to Miami. You need to run the football, which they proved later in the game. Mostert was running it well. You need to play. They're going to win with running the football, their play action, their jet sweeps, all this nonsense, the use check in the flats and all that bullshit. That's how they win. And they were sitting back with, with Jimmy G just, you know, in shotgun. And I'm like, this is going to go bad. And then it went bad. It was like, who could have seen that? So I think you can hang this one on coaching as well. Definitely. I mean, you just absolutely can't give up third and 22 single coverage. And, and 48 didn't even touch him either. I was like, this is like, I mean, it was embarrassing. So 49ers ought to be embarrassed. They really should from top to bottom organizationally. That was just one of the worst losses I've seen. So, you know, and what's amazing is they're two and three. And and the wild card right now is like uh, Carolina, and they're three and two, so they're a game out of the wild card. Like they're right in it. <laughs> See, they're last place in their division, but they're right in it somehow. So um, you know, Arizona and Carolina are three and two, and that's like the that's the, uh, the 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 last place wild card team. So I was just astounded. You know, Shanahan's a great coach. They have a great system. They have great leadership. It feels like, but uh, you know, that was that was an embarrassing game. So. 49ers really need to turn that one around. They they needed that win. Their schedule gets really tough. In some ways, I mean, I know I just said their game out. I think their season's over with that game because, you know, they're if you just turn around and look at their schedule, it is it is just a, a murderer's row. Yep. Um, you know, I don't know if there was any other uh, moments like that you saw from the game, but um, I, I just noticed that one and it was brutal. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, coaching's definitely had, was a big issue there as well, and I mean, nothing went right for them. I mean. Kittle's involvement was pretty inexplicable for me. Like on the couple plays that he did get, he just did his usual thing and just shed shed defenders like nobody's business. And like you said, the running game was working. Like whenever Mostert got the ball, he was basically running for a first down uh, or close to it and putting them ahead of the sticks. But 
you know, for whatever reason, decided to have just Jimmy Grant and uh, Jimmy G sit back there and just. <laughs> it just was playing. like it was Jimmy Grant. Yeah, it was like it was Jimmy Grant playing quarterback, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I mean, he might have done better than a 15 quarterback rating. Hey, listen to this, Mike. You're not even going to believe this. This is this is like fake news. Listen, this is San Francisco's upcoming schedule. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Home against the Rams. Mm-hmm. Good luck. At New England. Yep. At Seattle. Yep. Home against Green Bay. Yep. At New Orleans. Yeah. Not great. Good luck. Like, that's five games that I don't think they'll be favored in a single one of them. Like, even the home games. Home against the Rams, they're not favored in that game. Home against Green Bay, they're definitely not favored in that game. They're not favored on any of those games in the road. Uh, They have their bye week. They come out of their bye week on the road against the Rams. Mm -hmm. Home to Buffalo. Like, okay, so that's seven games in a row that... Okay, they might win some. I, I I get it, but are they making up ground in that schedule? I can't believe it. They they play a home game against Washington. Okay, fine, but they just lost to Miami, so that's no sure win. At Dallas, at Arizona, against Seattle home. They're not making the playoffs. This team is done, man. That that schedule is brutal. I said they had to win, you know, that that this this little stretch where they played, you know, the Jets, the Giants, Philly, and Miami. They had to win three of those games going two and two in that and really being now two and three in that early easiest part of the schedule. I just don't see it with this team, pour some dirt on them. And if I'm wrong, well, th- they'll have earned it. Let's just put it that yeah, way. Definitely. I'm, I'm with you, man. It's going to be, it's going to be a tough, tough road for them going forward. The other one I've got to, I've got to shout out to my man, you know, and really I've got to, I mean, you're, you live in San Francisco. I live just South of you. I'm on the, I'm on the West coast with you. Well, there's a lot of Raider fans. We know a lot of Raider fans. The Raider Nation stand up, baby, because they they went into, you know, an empty arrowhead or whatever, you know, but they, they came out of there with a win. You got to give them a lot of credit. Yeah, that was impressive. I, I will say that. And, you know, I actually entered a lineup into the Millie Maker and I put Josh Jacobs because I thought his ownership would be pretty low. And the Chiefs do have a run funnel D and I was trying to bet on a, a case where, you know, they kept it close. And, you know, thankfully they kept it close, but on the bad side, they were scoring bombs, right? Like, you know, Derek Carr was dropping it to Henry Ruggs. He threw a long one to Aguilar. Uh, I mean, he did not look like the Derek Carr we all know and love, the short dump off king. He was actually pushing it downfield and he was going basically shot for shot uh, with the reigning with the reigning chiefs and the reigning champs. And it was impressive, man. And the thing is the, the funny thing here is like, I'm not really buying that team uh, yet, even though they did just pull up this massive upset. I'm chalking it more up to an outlier versus a a signal of things to come because that defense is still pretty booty. Uh, They got pretty lucky on a couple of callbacks. I mean, there was a huge bomb right out the gate to Tyreek Hill that got pulled back. Um, A couple other things got called back. But, I mean, their defense, you know, they played as well as they could have against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Mahomes made a couple of, I would say, uncharacteristic uh, errors. Like, he overthrew Tyreek Hill on a huge bomb, too, which which would have, like, kind of separated them a little bit. So, that was just a weird game. Um, I, I don't know what you saw, but... It was it was interesting they won, uh, but I'm I'm not at all like really worried about the Chiefs yet, and I'm not really moving the Raiders up my ranks or anything like that. Yeah, no, I thought it was. Um, I just thought it was cool, you know. I mean, I, I I'm you know from Boston, and I move out here, and I swear to God, the easiest money was Raider fans. I just bet Raider fans every year <laughs> against their team. 
hundred dollars, they won't go, you know, they won't get eight wins and, you know, they'd pay up. And it was just, it was almost embarrassing because they would come out and be like, no, man, they're going to be good. <laughs> and, you know, it was the easiest money. And, you know, that <laughs> they were not easy money today. Let's just put it that way. Tommy Moe of the Undroppables two-on-one uh, Tommy, you know, I mean, good for you, brother. I mean, the Raider fan, I mean, it's just so cool. I'm so happy for you. That's a cool win because the Rugs play was kind of dope. Like, you know, that was whatever, 70-yard bomb. Like, that's what you want from Ruggs. Like, he's the video game guy. So that was a lot of fun. I think the Raiders have a have a puncher's chance to get in the playoffs. I mean, I don't think – I'm with you. I don't think the the division is in doubt necessarily. I mean, I, I, you know, the they play uh, at home. I think it's a Sunday or Monday night against um, – Kansas City, November twenty second, week week eleven. I'll I'll bet anybody this that money that, that Kansas City's going to win that game <laughs> if you want straight up money. You know, in other words, I think they're going to split the season series. But if you look at you know uh, Vegas's schedule, if you look at the Raiders' schedule, it's not too bad, especially down the stretch. Um, after that Kansas City game, uh, after that Kansas City game on the road, but at Atlanta, okay, at the Jets. Okay, those. I mean, that's great. Those are the best two road games you could ask yep. for. It's like you know, you need to go win those. Indianapolis, who boy, we could talk about them a little bit. Um, but you know, whatever. Uh, Chargers, Miami at Denver. Yep. I don't know. Like that sounds like a pretty good little run there, where you know they can go. You know, a six game stretch. I mean, they can go four and two, five and one. They can finish strong and make the playoffs. I think it's really in play for them. Definitely. So, you know, they got Tampa Bay, Cleveland, Chargers, Denver, Kansas City. That's going to be a little bit more char- uh, challenging here in the in the in the short term. But they've got a bye week. I don't know, man. The, the, you know, they can do a few things. You know, Jacobs is is a chain mover. He's a hell of a player. He fights for yards, man. He is. He's incredible. He is a, he's right. He's incredible. He's fun to watch run the football, so he's really good. Their passing game is efficient, and Waller's outstanding. I mean, I think I moved Waller to tight end three or something. Dynasty, and people were yelling at me. I, maybe, maybe that's foolish to have him above Andrews, but whatever. Like, it was kind of a sentimental move because the kid is just so under underrated by the, you know, by the masses. It's, crazy. it's like he right, he's legit. You know, he's at least tight end four. Um, you know, and there's no other case to be made anybody else, to, yeah. in my opinion. If, it's just get out of here. If uh, look, if they, if he gets an extension like what Kelsey and Kittle did, there's no reason to uh, have him behind Mark Andrews, in my opinion. Uh, the only reason why he doesn't have it is because people think it's like you know it's it's not secure because he has a contract, but it's like not too much guaranteed, not too much tied up long term. Uh, so there's that risk there. And then for whatever reason, people thought two rookie wide receivers going to come in and displace one of the top tight ends in the league. Um, you know, I always thought this guy was going to be a target hog. He's going to lead the team in receptions, and he's doing just that. He's in, he's just incredible, man. He's an incredible feat. They threw up a stat up there. Like him and Kelsey are like going blow for blow, and obviously Kittle, in my opinion, is the best head in the league, but he, he's not really seeing the volume that they're seeing uh, from a fantasy perspective. But it's, it's those three. It's Andrews, and, you know, tight end's in a good spot, man, because then you got – Noah Fant, who was having an incredible breakout to his season before going down with an injury, uh, you got like T.J. Hawkinson. It's just been a been a pretty pretty good pretty good young tight end crop, I think. I agree. You know, um, right now too, it's like you know you can find depth at, at tight end, which you know has has been you know pretty pretty good. Although it kind of comes in fits and starts, right? You know, it's like Evan Engram scored today. Higby was quiet. You know all the. But yeah, I think when you start looking at the Fant, Jonu Smith, Goddard, Hawkinson, 
Um, you know, Hunter Henry, I think that's about the group where I'm like, you know, weekly starter, kind of excited about their future dynasty prospects type of player. That's about the end of the list. Then there's a bunch of guys, you know, Dalton Schultz, I think you you said it earlier. I think he actually hurts from the from the Andy Dalton situation uh, just because of sheer volume. And he was kind of like the over overfill bucket, right? You know, it's like, you know, things are just, you know, video game, video game. And all of a sudden they're like not guarding the tight end, you know, whereas now I think it's going to be a little bit different. They'll be able to move their safeties up and kind of, you know, they don't have to worry about the running uh, of Dak. So I think some of these guys, Hooper started to turn it around a little bit, but, you know, can you really count on him? Hayden Hurst. He goes invisible. Logan Thomas goes invisible. Yeah. There's just a lot of guys as you kind of, you know, start moving down the ranks where, yes, yeah, sometimes you can find uh, some value, but, you know, other times it's it's goose eggs. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I I, I, <laughs> I played a stack in uh, in the Millie Maker as well that was like, you know, it did really well. It was Teddy, DJ Moore, and I wanted to buy up for Zeke and a few other things. And I was like, you know what? Uh, Atlanta is the worst in the NFL against the against the tight end. They're just awful, you know. They just so I moved, I moved, I moved Ian Thomas, and I think he got goose eggs. I'm not sure I didn't check. <laughs> he did but not do good. He didn't do anything. I, at one point in the third four, I think he, I think he actually, I think he got shut out. Uh, so I don't think I didn't check, but I don't think I won the Millie. <laughs> uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I did it. But um, you know, process wise was okay, especially for like you say if with a Millie maker. You know, you kind of have to have something that's a little bit off the cuff. So you know, it was it was a fun lineup, and it, it half was right, but yeah. you know, not totally. Um, you know, I think we're we're getting down to it. I you know you know we were talking. I was trying to figure it out, but. We don't disagree on much. There was someone who asked in the in the questions, find a player that you guys disagree on and you know, and tell the other guy he's an idiot, you know, and I, I would love to, but I don't know if there's I don't know if that's possible. I really don't. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know you, if there's too much there. I mean, uh, I I've seen your ranks. Uh we're like pretty similar. Like, you know, there might be a couple guys shifted here and there, but you know, and when we're talking about tiers and groupings, like we tend to like the similar players because we probably have a very similar process. Uh, so yeah. I don't know if there's really anything for me to really like dump on for your rankings. I've seen them. I'm like, Oh, these look very similar to mine. Like every time you post your rankings, I'm like, Oh, that looks, that looks pretty similar to what I have. Maybe a couple guys shifted, but for the most part, we're all, we're all pretty aligned. I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I was, I was hoping to find a place where, you know, you and I could, you know, disagree pretty aggressively, which is fun. Uh, but I think we'd have to like, you know, start talking about like, you know, Michael Jordan and LeBron. Or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I don't and and if you and if you say LeBron, obviously you're wrong. So it's Jordan, right? Look, I, like this, I'll say this, right? I, I'm not. I've gotten to the point where I used to say it was LeBron, and and you know, I think part of that is just me being of the younger generation. You know, I didn't have, I wasn't there to appreciate Jordan live, but I think after watching the documentary on Jordan, I gained a, a completely level newfound level of respect for jordan uh i think that opened my eyes to a lot of things so if you want to make the case that he's the goat look i can't really argue it for it because of the way he was and the the, the insight that i got into his mentality uh really opened opened the eyes for me and i think he's a killer and in my eyes lebron is not a killer but uh i think they they also played in very different eras and it's like i i just really hate comparing across eras like that because there's so many other factors you know like 
free agency era was way different um you know like social media and the pressures and and the way the teams are built and the way the game is played today is totally different but i I will say this i don't think you can make an argument for the goat without those two and i think it's a major compliment to lebron to just like he's really the only one that can be in that conversation right there's really no other conversation to be had yeah i think that's right i think he's moved himself into the two hole without very much uh argument you know, in, in the, the the tough one, of course, because if you just go by the quote unquote metrics, Bill Russell. Oh yeah, you know, of course. He's got eleven. Yeah. <laughs> he's got eleven championships in thirteen years. One as a player coach. Like, I mean, come on. So it's hard, and and everybody will point to the watered down league. This that and the other. yeah, that's all true. But you know, he was that dominant. Uh, he won, you know, two national championships. He won Olympics. He won. I mean, he just was so. But I, I do agree. You know, obviously his game wouldn't necessarily translate to dominance, perhaps. You, but here's the thing: I think he would have figured it out. Oh yeah. You know, if he was born in today's era, he would have been dominant today because he's just fucking yeah. crazy good. You know. But I do get it. Um, but I'm, I, I always go to like, look, if if we're standing out on a playground, it's me and you, and there's just like, you know, thirty to forty of the best NBA basketball players of all time in their uber prime yeah. like literally whenever you pick the day of the year that you want to have them there and they're there that day of that year like they are all larry bird in 85 you know and like yeah. you know all these guys are in their absolute uber prime i am choosing michael jordan first and if you take anybody else first i am i am like i'm i'm chuckling you go ahead and take whoever the hell you want I'm taking Michael Jordan right after you take that idiot because no matter who it is, just because I know he is the alpha. He was the alpha then. You know, people talk about the league like, dude, he he went through Hakeem Olajuwon, Charles Barkley. I mean, he ruined so many people's lives. Patrick Ewing, and he played in an era where you go to the hoop, you get absolutely crushed. There was no hard fouls, no technical twos. Like you got you got killed, and you all right go to the line, boy. Make your two free throws. And you're like, you know, I mean, so he had the play. You know, talk about era. I'm not saying LeBron wouldn't have been. I mean, look, he'd be great in that era because he's bigger, stronger, and faster than anybody ever, period. As a physical specimen, LeBron, absolutely 100%. I mean, there, he's there's no, never been anything like him. He's Carl Malone's size with, you know, a guard's, uh, you know, fluid, fluidity. I mean, he's just unbelievable. It's just never been seen. Yeah. But... That doesn't mean anything. Like you know, uh, there, there, there's probably a, some other athlete out there, but he can't shoot or whatever. Like basketball isn't about that. You know, I mean, it it is to some degree, but it's you know, it's not only about that. In that case, then Bill Russell is as great because that's what he was. He was this running, jumping phenom, and that's why he dominated then. So you know, you can't have it both ways. You know, to me, when the chips were down, Jordan would score 35 and would make 58 percent of his shots somehow, and and. You know, the three-point line wasn't there. But when the three-point line came out, he made threes. Like, he's just the GOAT. And, you know, he had the will to win that Kobe had. You know, Kobe basically mirrored his game after after Michael and had that same, you know, lunacy. And, you know, uh, but he just didn't have the skill level that, that Michael had. So, I mean, I think if you could combine, you know, that that uh, it factor, that thing that LeBron, I mean, uh, Kobe and Jordan have and give it to LeBron. Yeah, maybe he would be the great. I mean, I don't see how that person gets stopped, but he isn't. And Jordan's the goat. And that's that. Yeah. I did, look, uh, like I said, that that documentary was uh, it was pretty eye opening for me. And I think like the, the, the respect that you gain for Jordan through that 
is like like you said like you know he went through an era where he did have to play through some of that stuff and he played against a lot of hall of famers um and i just i just feel like it's just like such a different era and i'm just appreciative that i get to watch both and you know you brought up kobe kobe's one of my favorite players vince carter's my favorite player of all time because i'm from toronto um nice. but uh kobe kobe is right up there with him so those and ai those three are my favorite players so i do like that killer mentality but i also just truly enjoy and appreciate the specimen that lebron is and you know people you know people love to compare him against the michael jordan because people love to have the goat conversation and the goat i think you know you're probably right it, it probably is michael jordan and actually no not it is michael jordan but I, i've always felt like in my heart that the best comparison to LeBron was not Michael Jordan because that's not really his style. Uh, it's always been magic. And, you know, I, I'm too young to have truly appreciated uh, what magic did when he was in the league. But that's what LeBron really reminds me of, man. He's like more of like that friendly passer. Um, he can score when he wants to, but, you know, he has eyes on the back of his head and he's such a so smart with the game, I think, and he's he's carried like just truly, truly awful, awful, awful teams that have nothing to do that they have no place being in the playoffs, and he's just like will willed them to the end. And you know, Jordan, as great as he is, he's fantastic, right? He's six for six. He's a goat. He didn't really win until he got like you know Scottie Pippen and, and you know a great coach behind him. And you know that those are things LeBron never had. And I'm not saying that makes that makes uh, LeBron any better than Jordan. It's just like I said, there's all so many different factors, and I just I just really appreciate the players that they are and i'm excited and i'm hoping that lebron kind of wins his mvp here because i think he deserves it one thing uh jordan would have never lost to jj barea that's what <laughs> yeah i mean jordan also would not have lost the mavs i mean that's that one is an unexcusable loss on LeBron. that's my point resume. that i mean he you know that was my point and jj barea yeah. was like you know guarding i mean no yeah that no. would have never happened no, and jordan, jordan, right, jordan would never, never yield the last shot and, and jordan is clutch lebron has been clutch in his own right and people have you know shot on him for kind of making that pass like he did in the last game to fucking danny green who's straight up trash just little yeah little but that trash. was a good pass it was a great I'll pass, a lot of it was a great pass yeah. and, it's th- and it's a great uh, move but people will shit on him for that and jordan would have jacked it uh, up haters jordan would have jacked it up and he probably would have made it and, and that's what made jordan great uh and but that's also what makes lebron great man if he finds the ray allens and that's another way to win there's just multiple ways to win uh, it's just a great game, beautiful, beautiful game to watch, and just beautiful guys to watch play. I wish I was older to have seen Jordan more uh, live in person, um, but you know, getting to see LeBron is is a pretty beautiful thing. I, I, th- I think Jordan would have probably made that shot and taken that shot, um, but he plays with pace too. You know, Jordan would have, you know, LeBron was kind of a little not out of control, but he was he was barreling to the basket. A lot of what he does is like uses his his incredible body and quickness and speed and acceleration to beat you to the rim and <clears throat> excuse me and get there and nobody can stop yeah. that but he was like double or triple teamed and you know Michael would have had a little bit more pace to his game probably been able to you know like he did with Byron Byron Russell would have pushed his ass a little <laughs> bit created just enough space and risen up and and probably would have banked it in for the wind quite frankly because he had that angle you know just for a little bit of flavor he would have banked it yeah. in but um you know hey look you know Woulda, coulda, shoulda, woulda, all that stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, they're both outstanding, and and LeBron's a great player. But you know, I I think I'm I'm also prefacing for you know I'm gonna have uh, Nate Liss on the show uh, from uh, Player Profile. Yeah. I heard he was you know going back and forth on a, on a recent episode, and and so I'm just plant, planting my flag for the Jordan situation. So when he comes on here, he can because he's look Nate is a hell of a debater, so he'll probably beat my ass, <laughs> but. 
I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring the the firepower, but it's you know whether he comes and beats my ass in a debate, he's still wrong. LeBron is not number one; it's Jordan. Yeah. So we'll see how that ends up coming out. I'm sure he's gonna mention it now that I called him out. <laughs> so, uh, but hey, a lot of fun having you on the show, man. I you know I love I love everything you're doing, man, and I love talking to you. I love interacting with you because you make me better because you're so smart at this and you're so good at this. And I really appreciate you coming on this show and taking the time out of the day. And and I, that's it, man. So go out there, everybody who's listening to my show, certainly go check out Michael and what he's doing. Um, you know, you can find him on Twitter. Uh, give me the, it's Mike Me Up, but what is it? Uh, give me the give me the the dynasty. I mean the uh, Twitter Twitter handle. Uh, Mike Me Up with two P's. There you go. Mic me up with two P's. Way up there. It's like Greg Williams, the two G's, you know, <laughs> the second fake G for jerk. Yeah, yeah exactly. Someone stole the, the mic me up with, with one P, but I'm actually, you know what? I'm growing into the two P's. I'm starting to like it. That's right. Isn't the, uh, the one P is bigger than the other yep, P? exactly. See, he, he's throwing flavor on the P's for crying <laughs> out But no, thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. We're getting, we're getting zany at this point, but you brought the absolute heat today. I really appreciate everything you did. And and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, right? thanks for having me on, man. Uh, everything you said, you know, times two, back at you. I love engaging with you. I love what you guys are doing over there um, at the Undroppables. And, uh, you know, you're just a, just a smart dude, man. And it's, it's really rare to find uh, people to kind of, you know, engage with on Twitter that are kind of like on that same level where you're not just like taking shots at each other. You're actually trying to debate the actual game and the facts. So I think uh, that's the part that I really appreciate uh, about you going back and forth on Twitter with me. Thank you so much, man. And uh, for 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 Mike, for myself, all of us at the Undroppables, we out. Peace.